0: Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing
1: new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. From KMUW studios and part of the NPR podcast network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast.
0: And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on February 1st, 2023. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Good morning, Suzanne. Hi, Ben. How are you? Happy February to you. And to you as well. Yeah. Thank you. It's the shortest month of the
1: year. It is. But there's only 28 days this year, right? Yeah. Next year there are 29. Okay. We get a whole extra day of reading next year. We should make that a thing. We have a whole year to get it done.
0: Yes. Let's make it leap day, leap into reading something, something 2024.
1: Okay. And if you are listening, um, you know, in 12 months, remind us that we said this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe in 10 months.
1: Okay. Let's do that. (laughs) Okay, so our last episode, we were, you know, we were in front of that live audience at the library. And we were talking about challenge books. And I have to tell you, that really had me thinking about the challenge earlier than I ever have before. I mean, I already have one book read and plugged into the category. So that was really fun. It was a good exercise for me. That's awesome. I love the Read ICT Challenge. And in case
0: you missed that episode, well, first of all, go back and listen to it. But secondly, we're talking about the annual reading challenge for Wichita, and I'm excited about all the categories this year and ready to check some books off of that list as well. But, you know, I've had some things going on. Yeah, Um, yeah, you have. I got got married. There you go. Yeah. I'm keeping my name in case anyone is wondering, so I will continue to be Suzanne Perez, but it's been an interesting month. How has your reading month been, kicking off the year?
1: You know what? I think it's been okay. I think I have five books that I read and five or six books that I read in January. I'm only going to be talking about maybe three today. Well, do you want
0: to start out, Beth?
1: Sure. Okay. Uh, one of the first books I read, I actually read it last year, but it came out on January 3rd, and it's a book called Brotherless Night by Vivi Ganeshanathan. And Say that one more time. Vivi V. You You man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. it's so. You said it so perfectly. Uh, Vivi Ganesanathan. There. That's it. Wow. Impressive. Well, it was till you had <laughs> me repeat it. Um, so this came out, as I mentioned, on January 3rd. It takes place in Sri Lanka during the 1980s. The, the Sri Lankan Civil War is, you know, kind of the backdrop for this book. And it's about this family. Our narrator is this girl. She's not the youngest in the family, but she has, I think, three older brothers and then a younger brother. And this family is just so loving and so tight-knit. And this war, basically, you know, wreaks havoc on the family. This book was just really well done. The writing was fantastic. It was one that just kind of kept me turning the pages, even though sometimes I didn't like what I was reading as far as plot. But that's life, right? Right. Right. The writing was fantastic, the voice was fantastic. This is one I just really highly recommend. And another thing about Vivi Ghana Shonathan is she teaches at a university, I believe, in Minnesota, but she has a podcast with Whitney Terrell, who is an author who lives in Kansas City, and it's called Fiction Nonfiction. And they, you know, they believe that if we look at current events today, there is some mirroring thing that can be explained in literature. Oh, so it's actually how cool. a really fun, yeah, it's a fun podcast. Oh, wow. I'll have to listen to that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, Brotherless Night, it was about the Civil War. It was about these brothers. But it also, you know, took a look at, at gender. It's kind of a feminist novel in a way. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I recommend this one. Very cool. Very cool. What about you? What's first for you? Yeah, my first read that I'm bringing this
0: month is The Late Homecomer by Jean Hanf Corlitz. Interestingly, you know how the end of the year is with all the best of lists and people's favorites and all of that. And it was actually at the taping of our last podcast episode our good friend Cheryl Esau, who's been a part of the Read ICT community for a long time, she said one of her favorite reads of 2022 was this book wow. by Jane Hampf Corlitz. It did not get much buzz that I can think of last year. I mean, I kind of think that I'm pretty well informed about you know upcoming books and the like, but I didn't hear a lot about it. This is by the author of The Plot, which I did not read. This I listened to it on audio. I read it because Cheryl said, Oh, didn't you like A Place for Us? Oh, yeah, you did. Yes, I love that. That's one of my all time favorite novels. That was from uh, a few years back. And I said, "Uh, yes, of course I did. And she said, well, this reminded me of that. And it did. It's sort of this sweeping, epic, dysfunctional family drama. But it basically is the story of this pretty well-to-do couple in New York. And they have fertility challenges. And they end up having triplets. Um, What's interesting about this novel from the very beginning is you're not quite sure who's narrating it. Hmm. The narrator is saying... Our parents did blah, blah, blah. But she's talking about the triplets in third person. And anyway, it is a fantastic story. It kept me listening. And it's fairly long. Um, I think it was, you know, over 10 hours. It was 12 or 14 hours, maybe. Anyway, it follows this couple through, you know, that experience. But then, you know, they have the triplets. The mother has these dreams of this, you know, really close-knit sort of, Kennedy-esque, you know, (laughs) everyone playing football together kind of existence. And that doesn't end up being the case. But all these kids go their different ways and have their different experiences and then come back together. The late comer refers to another child that the couple ends up having later on much much later on but um, the other thing I want to say about this novel is it dealt a lot with art and I love when this happens in a book where um, they refer to actual paintings and then you have to go and look at them online which is what I do media I loved that part of it I just loved the voice in this novel I loved the pace I loved everything about it really highly recommended that
1: was The Latecomer by Jean Hamph Corlitz okay Well, as I mentioned, I, you know, my Vivi Ghanai Shanathan interview was on the first Tuesday of the year. And then the next Tuesday, we aired an interview I had with Oindrila Mukherjee, and she wrote a book called The Dream Builders. And then the week after that, a book that came out was Decent People by Deshawn Charles Winslow. But the one I'm going to talk about actually came out the week after that, which was January 24th. And it is The Faraway World by Patricia Engel. It is a collection of short stories. And oh, my gosh, it's one of the best short story collections I've ever read. Really? Really well done. That's saying a lot because you read a lot of short stories. I do. I love them. And I wish more people would try them. I mean, they are such a good gateway to fiction. All of the drama and the tension and everything has to be contained in this short Piece of literature, and I just love it so much. Little nugget of goodness. Yes. Patricia Engel, you might recognize her from, I think, in 2021, her book Infinite Country came out. Oh. And it was, you know, on a lot of award lists and everything. And I had not read her before, but judging, you know, based on these short stories, I really want to go back and read everything she's ever written. These were just so, you know, layered and and textured, and it was about, you know, desire and wanting to. I don't A lot of it was about the American dream mm. and how it fails us. Uh, this had a lot to do with immigration and migration and, um, you know, was set a lot in Colombia or Cuba or the United States or Miami. I mean, I don't know. There are just a lot of different stories that were kind of linked by this desire to improve yourself and improve your situation in life. But none of the stories were linked to each other. Oh, I love that actually
0: for, um, yeah, people with ADD tendencies, short story mm-hmm. collections tend to be good. It's also, I don't you think um, when we talk about, you know, reading several books at a time and a short story collection is always nice to sort of have going if you just have, you yeah. know, a few minutes or. You yes, just...
1: I can typically read one on my bus ride home. That's a good short story length is if I can start it and finish it. And I also think that short stories are good palate cleansers in between long novels. Apples, yes,
0: so. or slump. They can be slump busters.
1: There you go. Um, so
0: so in this particular collection, is it a, a, like just a huge variety of set, sounds like settings and character and things yes. like that, but sort of this you know, themes maybe linking
1: through. Yeah, it's just mainly the themes of, um, you know, all of these people just trying to improve their situation in life. Awesome. That sounds great.
0: I've been looking for a little short story collection, so maybe I'll uh, check that out.
1: Yeah, that's The Faraway World by Patricia Engel.
0: Okay, so my next one is Heating and Cooling, 52 Micro Memoirs by Beth Ann Fennelly. I picked this up because I was listening to another reading podcast called From the Front Porch. It's a podcast produced by a bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. And the woman who sort of does the bookcast is the bookstore owner. Her name is Annie B. Jones. Anyway, so I was listening to her. She does these episodes called Literary Therapy. And her first literary therapy episode of the year, someone was saying, "You know, I love the start of a new year and these new challenges, but I kind of like to juice my stats at the beginning of the year." <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, by that she meant, you know, I just like to get going and get a good jump on my reading goals. And and, and not everyone is reading goal oriented. Mm-hmm. Not everyone even sets reading goals. I tend to because it. I just kind of like it. You know that. I I set a reading goal last year of 52 books. I, you know, barely made it on New Year's Eve. This year, my goal is 60 books because I want to raise it a little bit. Um, But it's nice to get going on New Year's Day and just get something read or like in January, just like read a bunch of books because then you go on your tracking site and it says you are five books ahead of schedule or whatever. It's like a good feeling. So anyway, they were talking about sort of Books you can read in a short amount of time or in one sitting, but that are still powerful, good, meaningful books. We're not talking about like throwaway, oh, I'm going to read this because it's 30 pages or something. So this is a fabulous book. It's only 113 pages total. And by micro-memoirs, this author, just kind of looking back at little episodes in her life, some of them are one-sentence. Some of them are a few pages. They run the gamut. There's this whole little series that she calls Married Love. They can be so funny, charming, poignant. Like, it runs the gamut of emotions. It really, really amazed me how deeply I felt. And that shows you what the power of language and the power of her writing style is. Hmm. I truly loved it. You get a sense for her life But in these little bite-sized pieces, there's not like this arc of a traditional standard memoir. I want to say one of the comp titles that I was thinking of as I was reading this was Amy Krauss-Rosenthal's Encyclopedia of an Ordinary
1: Life. Oh, okay. Did you read that one, Beth? No, I'm only familiar with her essay where she wrote, I Want You to Marry My Husband. Oh, God. Yeah.
0: Yeah, one of the saddest uh, things ever written. But I loved Amy Krauss-Rosenthal's books, Uh, Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life. If you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. It's just like again sort of nuggets of her life and memory in encyclopedic style so like oh, wow. a through z even and uh, you know the, with these entries anyway in as I was reading through heating and cooling I just thought god it's it's very much like that it's literary it's everything you love in memoir but also um, you know this non traditional writing style so i highly highly recommend it i loved it it's called heating and cooling 52 micro memoirs by beth ann fennelly and it's a backlist It was published in 2017, so it's a little bit going back, but it is in paperback. There you go. Yeah, there you go.
1: Okay, so I'm just kind of telling you these books in order, in the order of how I visited with these authors and how we published them in marginalia. So yesterday, because we're recording this on the first yesterday, we published my interview with Grady Hendrix. uh, Oh my gosh, the haunted house thing. how to sell a haunted house. And you know how I do not, you know, I I shy away from horror and he's just so irresistible i had to talk to him i had to read the book now I'm walking around looking at all of these, even like cat toys, thinking, "Oh, that that thing's gonna come to life and kill me." Oh, but it was um, it was just a it, you know it was a fun interview. He is so delightful. So if you you know have a chance, go listen to that, and it'll tell you a little bit more about the book. But one I want to talk about now. Wait, what was the title of that one? How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. Yeah. Okay. He said he's really hoping people just mistake it for a, a real estate guide. <laughs> <laughs> But it was scary, scary. I don't read horror books, so I don't know if I should say this was scary, yeah. scary. OK. You know?
0: Right, right. You don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot of context as far as. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, but look at it. Look at the books that he writes, The Final Girl Support Group, which is about all of these mass murder survivors. They were the final girl, the one who kills the monster in the end. So that was, you know, what I talked to him about that two years ago, I think. When I first met him. It was it was at BEA in New York City and of course it, <laughs> it was, was when um, his book, My Best Friend's Exorcism mm-hmm. came out. So anyway, he's fun. I mean,
0: I love that sort of the scream um, genre of horror where it's like it ma- makes fun of itself a little bit. Yeah. I've not read him at all, but yeah, I'm gonna put him on my list. I love that almost genre blending comedy horror kind of thing you could call it.
1: Well and listen to the interview because I think I think he's so fun to talk to because he's just he's so well spoken and he can just wrap up this thought like nobody's business but that's how he writes as well. You you're going to get the humor, you're going to get the intelligence, you're going to get I asked him if you know have you ever thought about writing anything other than horror? He said, no, this oh, is yeah. what he does.
0: He just loves it. Yeah. Wow. That's cool.
1: How to Sell a Haunted House, Grady Hendrix. And yes. then I do have one more, but oh, you go okay. ahead.
0: I'd like to talk about Sam by Allegra Goodman. So I reviewed this for KMUW. So the review is living online there at KMUW.org. This came to my attention in the middle of last year. People were sort of talking about it. It's a coming of age novel. It's about a girl named Sam. I <laughs> mean, the title is Sam. It's about a girl named Sam growing up. Essentially, if you boil it all down, that's what it's about. But we follow Sam from age seven to nearly 20. She is growing up in a now pretty typical American household. She has a a single mom who works hard, is always kind of struggling to pay the bills. She has a dad who's sort of absent, sort of not. He floats in and out of her life and really kind of heartbreaking ways. He struggles with addiction, and there's, so there's all the issues related to that. It's written in a, in a very strange style. It's almost an immature-sounding, very straightforward, almost, I mentioned this in my review, sort of children's picture book style of writing, um, which frankly got kind of a little annoying as I was reading it, but the novel itself and the plot keeps you going, keeps you hanging on, and keeps you wondering, you know, how she's going to get through this. You get into her mind. It takes you back a little bit into those sort of cringy middle school years, uh, you know, when you have got a crush on the older boy and, you know, you're dealing with, you know, all the things that go with, you know, growing up. Think about it, seven to, you know, 19. Oh my gosh, that's just (laughs) sort of a hellacious sort of period of life, but Allegra Goodman does a really good job in just sort of describing this girl's adolescence, you know, into her young adulthood. Anyway, so that was
1: Sam by Allegra Goodman. Okay. The final book I'm speaking about today is, uh, it's called BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found by Christy Tate. And this book comes out February 7th, so my interview with her will be available uh, through Marginalia on that date. But it's her second memoir. She wrote a book a few years ago called Group, Mm -hmm. which was about her experience with group therapy. And in this book, she talks about, I mean, she attends meetings a lot, 12-step meetings. She started doing that when she was younger because she had an eating disorder. She would fight through bulimia. Mm Um, but then she started attending meetings when her boyfriend would drink too much. So she, it was more of an Al-Anon you know, support group because it wasn't that she had the problem. It was that he was drinking too much. And so she has been going to these group meetings her practically her entire life. And she met a woman through one of these meetings. Her name is Meredith. And Meredith was 20 years older, and Christy didn't even think about the fact that they are friends. She just thought, oh, we we attend meetings together. But um, after Christy finally met her husband, who did not have any issues with drinking, Meredith, after one of the meetings, said, oh, well, now, now that you have that part of your life figured out, maybe you can work on your friendships. And Christy Tate said, what? She hadn't even thought that this was an area in her life she needed to work on. And so this whole book is about, I mean, it moves moves in a linear fashion, but it also, she'll, she'll go back and tell you about how she was a bad friend in junior high, how she was this bad friend in high school, how she let her boyfriend mm-hmm. sabotage her friendship with these other people. And it was just a really fascinating look at friendship and at these group meetings, at, at these um, sessions. So is it about, so it's not
0: about a particular friend, it's more more a look at friendship in general? It's, it's about,
1: like... uh, it's a look at friendship, but she does bring in, I mean, specific names and specific friendships and, and describes how they would, what would go wrong, like if there was this triangle Uh, of these three ladies, she would be jealous of the time the other two would spend together. That was one way she would sabotage this friendship. Her running partner, she would see that she would become jealous of Christy, and then she just would ghost her because she's like, I don't have time for oh this. Oh, my gosh. This sounds like required reading yeah, of every
0: young person, you know, th- thinking about how hard it is to mm-hmm. to be a good friend and to develop good friendships. That sounds fantastic. Now, every single name in this book
1: has been changed.
0: Uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, group her previous book, Group, has been on my list for a while. Uh-huh. I've not read her, but um, no, that sounds yeah. very
1: intriguing. It was, it was really well done, and it's called BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found by Christy Tate. Well, I guess we are
0: bringing a lot of memoir to the table in January, getting our reading year kicked off there uh, with memoir. We're juicing it. My, <laughs> we're juicing our stats. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So, uh, and another way to juice your stats is graphic novels, because they go oh, very, very quickly. Yeah, um, so I love a graphic novel. Uh, we'll talk later this year, probably, about the Wichita Big Read, which is a graphic memoir this year, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll get back. That's, um, yeah, anyway. Um, so this has been on my list for a while. It's called Displacement by Kiku Hughes. I guess it's a young adult memoir, but it's really a look back at Kiku Hughes's ancestors who were in Japanese internment camps during mm-hmm during World War II. But it's told in this very, very interesting way. I picked it up in part because of the Read ICT Challenge. And one of the categories is a book about time. So the character in this novel kind of goes back in time and Hmm. lives in the Japanese internment camps, goes through that experience sort of alongside her grandmother. What's interesting to me is you know how families are. These Dramatic and often traumatic things can happen to family members, and they sort of, especially older generations, they sort of put that out of their minds, and we shall not speak of this again, sort of thing. And so, this uh, character grows up, you know, just sort of vaguely knowing that, yeah, you know, my grandmother played violin and she was in this camp in Utah. But other than that, I really don't know a whole lot. So here she goes back and she lives it. And the illustrations are beautiful. They're these full color, you know, comic book style illustrations. And that's always an interesting way to tell a story as well. And it just sort of follows, you know, this this young woman's journey back to her ancestors past. And it really helps her connect with her family and a whole new way. I also learned a lot about just sort of that time period. Mm -hmm. And this is a really interesting way to look back at a really painful point in American history. And another interesting sort of strategy she uses in this graphic novel is The present day was during, you know, shortly after the 2016 election, and there were all of those immigrant bans Mm -hmm. and all of those, you know, things going on, the the crisis at the border with, you know, sort of um, bad feelings toward immigrants and those sorts of things. And so you see her mother you know, watching TV and watching all this going on. And then and then she goes back in time and then back into the present. And she really ties it all together so beautifully. Again, the illustrations are terrific. The story is told in a wonderful way. I learned a lot. That is Displacement by Kiku Hughes.
1: Okay, very and, nice. Yeah.
0: So that's our current reads yes. for this month. That's a kind of a nice collection. I think so. I'm I think so, I'm too. I'm pleased. I'm proud. So I wanted to talk just a little bit today about another, uh, I guess, sort of challenge <laughs> I have going on. I, have you heard of the Tournament of Books? I have. Beth? What, do you, what do you know about it? Because this is pretty new to me. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I know it's been going on for a while, but this is the first time I've really kind of really taking a close look at it. Okay.
1: I think I first became
0: aware of it in twenty fourteen. Okay. This is the Tournament of Books. It's sponsored by
1: I always thought the, it was Morning News. Morning News. Okay.
0: And it's I guess their website is themorningnews.com. Okay. So so what I know about it is every year it, it's almost like a long list, short list kind of thing, sort of like the National Book Award. So the Tournament of Books winnows down the long list of books published in that year. And gets it down to eighteen books that they then put in a traditional March Madness style bracket. Yes. I have a friend Carrie who's a very avid reader and she has been doing this for a while, making it her goal to read all eighteen books so that then when the tournament starts in March, she can participate and it is very a uh, participatory activity where, you know, judges take a look at these books, but then the community online gets to weigh in about which, you know, as books go head to head, which one they liked better and for what reasons. I
1: love a good tournament.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so but it can be frustrating. Like you were telling me just Yeah I was at the looking bracket. at the bracket
1: yesterday and one of the um The Regions, you know, right off the bat, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow has to go up against Dinosaurs. And you loved both of those.
0: I did. It's hard. Yes. But they have these judges who all have, you know, pretty uh, impressive resumes. They're writers themselves or they're critics or they have some tie to the book industry. And it's all up to that judge on that day, you know, which one rises and, Mm -hmm. and advances into the next round. But, yes, I mean, Dinosaurs versus Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Wow. Right. I don't even know right now which one I would pick. But I'm going to fill out a bracket. But, you know, I've only read four of the 18 Okay, so far. I am reading right now. I'm currently reading Night Crawling by Leela Motley. Uh, that would be my number five on the list. But thanks to you, Beth, and some borrowing and some getting uh, some books from the library and then per- obviously purchasing some myself, I have a big stack ready to go. And I think I will be able to. This, this thing kicks off. March 1st I believe. Or March,
1: well this says March 8th okay. through March 31st. Okay so
0: so early March it kicks off um, and I want to have at least a majority of them read by then uh, so that I can sort of watch it and, and see how it develops but um, uh, Night crawling, I'll bring that to the episode next month maybe but the ones I've read uh, Dinosaurs is in there Tomorrow mm-hmm. and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, I don't have the thing in front of me. I've
1: read Mouth to Mouth and Mercury Pictures Presents and I started that Olga Dies Dreaming. I'm, I'm listening oh. to that on audio. And that um, Emily St. John Mandel, Sea of Tranquility. I've not read it, but they reached out to me to see if I wanted to talk to her for the paperback. So I think I will be reading that. Yeah. So that, so I, that's
0: interesting. The ones you've read do not cross with the ones I've read very much. So between the two of us, we've read a lot of them. Um, but I'm just going to, for for our listeners' sake, I'm going to read through these Um so The Passenger by Cormac McCarthy. Oh, yeah, it's M- on my list. Mouth to Mouth, which you read. Mercury Pictures Presents, The Book of Goose, which I read. Mm-hmm. The Seven Moons of Molly Almeida. Notes on your sudden disappearance. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Dinosaurs. Sea of Tranquility. Babel, which has been on my list for a while. The Violin Conspiracy. I've read that. Manhunt. Whew, that's a crazy one. I'm about a third of the way through that, actually. The Rabbit Hutch, which oh, won that won a lot of one national book award. Uh, Olga Dies Dreaming and Night Crawling, and then they have, in typical tournament fashion, they have the pre-tournament play-in match, 2 a.m. in Little America. An Island and My Volcano. Those were three obscure titles. Well, and
1: last year, two of the books were like voted out, but then we got to vote on which ones could come back. Yeah, it's called the zombie round. No, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I fill out yeah. a of bracket with my short story group and lose money every year. So, uh, so you've never, <laughs> there you go. You've never won it. No. I,
0: I, it's going to be hard, but I love the variety of this list. There's horror. There's, again, obscure titles I'd never heard of, which I love that about it. I like to go back and look at what's come through previous years and mm-hmm. risen to the top. So anyway, that is the Tournament of Books. You can find more information at tournamentofbooks.com. The judging, I guess. I, I should say kicks off March 8th and it is yeah really really fun and you know because I have no other challenges or nothing else to do <laughs> I thought I just add 18 more books to my to my there reading you list. go um, Over-achiever. that's fun so anyway yeah okay
1: there is one that I want to read by the Super Bowl because like five Super Bowls ago The person who hosts the party every year handed me a book and said, oh, you should read this. I really want to give it back to him. (laughs) And every year, Super Bowl comes around and I still haven't read it. It's Family Matters by Rohinton Minstreet. So uh, he wrote A Fine Balance, which was, I know, I'm pretty sure that was an Oprah pick like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Oh, yes. Yeah. I can almost see the cover in my mind.
0: That is a great tradition Beth, again, okay, so after we do our, what was our tradition we were going to do at the beginning of the show? The we're leap day
1: reading. Leap day. Okay.
0: <laughs> Once we get that planned, we should do Super Bowl. I like this idea of to the Super Bowl party, you bring a book that you love. You do a book exchange. <laughs> God, we can turn anything into a book thing, can't we? We can. Turn. We can. So here, here is my proposal at your Super Bowl get together this year. You bring a book. Everyone who's going to that get-together brings a book, just a book and a snack, right? Because everyone's supposed to be like potluck. And then you'd have a book exchange and then by the next year's Super Bowl party, you will have read that book and and can talk about <laughs> okay, it. Okay,
1: I'll I'll mention it to them. I'll I'll see if if you know, I'll see if they all want to. I don't know how many people are readers. But Greg, I will bring you a book for you to read. <laughs> Um, by next year's by super bowl 2024 whatever that one is 58 would that be yes (laughs) by super bowl 58 l l x i i (laughs) v
0: (laughs) m (laughs) super bowl m c m l i x um no so so you so your goal beth though is to finish the book that he loaned you last year
1: it was five years ago (laughs) Gotta have a goal. (laughs) I just don't want to die with anybody else's books in my possession. That's like one of my worst fears, I think. How do, my family, they're probably going to burn my books. So how no. do they know which ones to return? No. Hush.
0: Hush. No <laughs> one is going to burn books here. No one in your family would burn a book. Um, but, you know, we're all going to. That's, you know, I've, I've put books out into the world. Other people have put books out into the world that have ended up with me. I know I have about five or six of your books that I still need to get back to you, including that microdosing one. I remember that one. <laughs> so, you know, it's all going to
1: even out in the end. That's how I see it. There's this great essay. Would you mind if I borrowed this book by Roger Rosenblatt? And it's one of my favorites. And I'll just read a little bit of it because this is hilarious. Of all the terrifying circumstances to which one's home is vulnerable, nothing equals that of a guest who stares straight at one's bookshelves. It's not the judgmental possibility that is frightening, the fact that one's sense of discrimination is exposed by his books. Indeed, most people would much prefer to see the guest first scan, then peer, then turn away in boredom or disapproval. Alas, too often the eyes, dark with calculation, shift from title to title, as from girl to girl in an overheated dance hall. Nor is that the worst. It is when the eyes stop moving that the heart too stops. The guest's body twitches. His hand floats up to where his eyes have led, and there's nothing to be done. You freeze. He smiles. You hear the question even as it forms. Would you mind if I borrow this book? <laughs> Then parenthetically, mind? Why should I mind? The fact that I came upon that book in a Paris bookstall in April 1959, (laughs) the 13th, I believe it was, the afternoon, it was drizzling, that I found it after searching all Europe and North America for a copy, that it is dog-eared at passages that mean more to my life than my heartbeat, that the mere touch of its pages recalls to me in a Proustian shower my first love, my best dreams. Should I mind that you seek to take all that away, that I will undoubtedly never get it back?" Then even as you actually return it to me one day, I will be wizened, you cavalier, and the book spoiled utterly by your mishandling mind? Not at all. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. I'll bring it back next week. No rush. Take your time. Liar. <laughs> oh, God. Have There's we more not to it, but that's my there. favorite.
0: <laughs> uh, I try to, you know, it's just an object. It's just an object, but they do hold... Yes, a lot of meaning sometimes, and a lot of memory, and a lot of sentimental attachment. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I want to thank Roger Rosenblatt. That is one of my favorite essays ever. So thank you for that. Yes, I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> I'm
0: going to read the whole thing when we uh, wrap right. up. Well, that sounds like a great place to stop. It sure
1: does. Thank right. you so much for joining us. And until next time, keep turning those pages. Bye, Beth. Bye, Suzanne. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stanser, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email, sent to podcasts at KMUW.org, on Twitter, at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, Books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmUW.org. Thank you.